0: Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, this is Pentecost Sunday, and so we're grateful for the Holy Spirit, his presence, his power in our lives today, God. We thank you, Lord, for this church, what you're doing in Generation Church, Lord. Just bless Pastor Ryan and Amy and the team over now with Tukey, Lord. And we celebrate a great day, Lord, in the la- launch of, uh, of the new campus, God. And just pray that you will do amazing things in months and years to come, Lord, through, uh, through this church, God. Bless them. Thank you for everyone that's here this morning, Lord. And as we come uh, to your word this morning, we're reminded by this song right here, God, that your arms are always open wide. And that, Lord, you always are responsive to us when we come to you. And so we come with open hearts. Pray, God, that your word would speak to us today. And uh, we thank you for everyone around us today, God. And any needs that are here, Lord, we just ask that you administer your grace to them, Lord. Whatever the need is today, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. 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 Give God praise one more time. Go ahead. God is good. Before you're seated, why don't you turn and greet at least One person, all right, and just welcome them that you can be seated. Thank you, Pastor Aaron and the worship team. Awesome. Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Ryan Visconti. Just kidding. If you're a guest, you wouldn't know, but Pastor Ryan, you saw in the video earlier, very excited to be here. My name is Jeff Peterson, I pastored here in Mesa for about 18 years and uh, then went to Missouri for about seven years. I'm back in the Valley now. We're back in in Mesa, actually, in the East Valley. We love this area, and uh, there's some familiar faces. Uh, Just an honor to be here. Uh, Pastor uh, Amy, Pastor Ryan and Amy, if you know, Amy kind of serves over the state of Arizona in the area of kids' ministry. She does a phenomenal job and leadership over that, and so I serve with her, kind of share the office with her downtown, and I'm in the network then for the Arizona uh, Network, and I'm the pastoral care director. So I basically pastor pastors, and that is a real privilege. And I love your pastor and your pastoral staff. You are blessed, aren't you? Why don't you give them a hand this morning? Thank God for all of them. It's great to have my wife with me, real quick. Like, honey, if you would stand, this is my wife, Carla, and uh, glad to have her next to her. My girls, two of my three girls are here, and we have five grandkids. And we live in. Did I mention that we live in the East Valley? Because I'm really glad to be back. So we've been back about five months, but it's an honor to be here. Uh, pastor Ryan, again, will be here tonight, Then he'll be back uh, next Sunday morning. And uh, we had a great early service, so you have a, a really good full day going here. I'd encourage you to come back and hear your pastor uh, again tonight, if you would. And I um, want to mention, by the way, if um, uh, just say this phrase with me, live dead. Say that, live Dead. All right, if you haven't heard of Live Dead, uh, it is an amazing missions, a part of our Assemblies of God missions thrust in the world today. And it began in East Africa. It went up to North Africa, where I was just um, a couple months ago in Egypt. I was in Cairo, then Alexandria, just a few days, maybe 10 days after I was there. There was the bombing there. We had just gone right by uh, that church where that bomb went off. And uh, Live Dead is an organization that is threefold vision. They are planting churches in unreached people groups by teams, and so they are going where virtually no one else is willing to go. It's an amazing movement. I only have a few of these left. We had a whole box that just kind of flew out the door. So I guess there are a few out here. But this is a Live Dead. It's a free devotional thoughts from missionaries that are serving in the Live Dead regions. Now it's expanded to five. It's moving to seven, even to nine regions where unreached people groups that have never really heard a witness of Jesus Christ, missionaries are going into plant churches by teams. If you think that's a good idea, say Amen. Amen. So um, if you want one, matter of fact, my copy, I spilled the communion juice on it earlier, but here's a copy. If anybody wants it, you can grab me afterwards because there's only a few left. But you could go to livedead.org, and Pastor Ryan said, absolutely, you can mention this as I serve on their elder board, and I just really believe in this wonderful part of missions. In that also, uh, you have the kingdom building or kingdom builders uh, fund that Pastor Ryan has encouraged you toward over and above your tithe and your offering to be given to toward this, and I really appreciate Ryan's heart that he wants to, with part of that, be sure to be involved in Live Dead, and it is cutting edge in missions, to say the least. And so, thank you, Pastor Ryan. Thank you for your giving, and keep that in mind as you give to Kingdom Builders, and you learn more about Live Dead. Uh, that's a part of what Generation Church is all about. So, how many of you are ready for the Word this morning? Yeah. Amen. Good. If you have your Bible or your handheld device, go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you would. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. How many of you notice that we are living basically in a 140 character world daily on a regular basis, huh? it's just kind of social media, the social world that we live in. I go back, and I remember uh, years ago, when email first came into our office over on Power Road, and the church I was pastoring there now called Via Church. In those days, it was Red Mountain Christian Center. And it came in, and one of the guys on the board, and uh, really a proponent of the church moving forward, explained to me what email was. And, and there was a gal just through the common wall behind me, and I'm like, well, why would I email her when I can literally walk five steps and talk to her? So I had to kind of work through that a little bit, and it was brand new. And then he said, well, man, you can email me or any of the board, any of the people in the church. I'm like, what? Because it was brand new, and it took a little getting used to, it. and the next thing you know, it's, it's viral. Obviously, it's huge. And then about that time, cell phones came out, and uh, basically, they were in the higher end cars, and so you had to really uh, own a, a nice car in order to have a cell phone. But then they came out with a personal cell phone, and it looked like this, and it was awesome, man. Look at that baby. Is it there? There it is, huh? The brick is back. How many want a brick right now, right? Try to sit on that accidentally, you know, as your iPhone or whatever in your pocket. And so this guy, this is what it would bring to your face. I mean, look how happy he is with his. Isn't he cool looking? Got the brick going there, right? And so the personal cell phone, and, and, and you had to kind of think about that. I mean, we've got pay phones. I mean, who needs a cell phone, you know? it. Uh, pay phones. If you're 30 and under, turn to the person beside you and ask what a pay phone is. Go ahead real quick, like so we can figure that out. All right. So you had a quarter years before as a dime and you'd go and you'd always have that on you. And so why do we need a cell phone before long? Everybody had cell phones. You realize today in the world, 90% of the world's over seven point, whatever it is now, 6 billion people have cell phones. 90%, 50% of the world's population have smartphones. So after that, of course, what happened? Well, everybody got a cell phone. Everybody began texting. I went through this with my girls. Two of the three are here, and um, and they were teenagers at that point, and they had their, their smartphones, and so then they're texting, and I'm like, why don't you just call her? Like, well, Dad, but, but she'll, she'll text me back. Yeah, but I don't know. Are we leaving? Are we leaving now? What's going on? Well, she'll text me back. Just call her. No, she'll text me back. It really bugged me. took a while to kind of get used to texting. In that day, think about it, 1995, the average person that had the ability to text, texted one text a month, all right? That'd be when they really felt edgy that day, they'd go for a text or something, right? So one a month, and to think about today, it's, just, it's a crazy reality, but if you'll picture this with me today, it says that in our world today, 200, and tri- 200 trillion text messages are sent every single day in the world, Two hundred trillion. Is that incredible? Millennials, typically, you will text at least 100 times a day. And as the age demographic moves up, it's a little bit less. But still, most of us all, at least 25, 50, some 75, many over 100 a day. That's 3,000 a month. That's 36,000 text messages in a given year. Now I'd like to take that thought to address something in our spiritual lives that God cares an awful lot about this morning. How many of you are concerned about what God cares about? Amen? And we find that out through his word this morning. So if you look here in 1 in Thessalonians, there's a, there's a pattern here. And by the way, I'll just give a disclaimer that as we move into this topic today, I in no way am saying that the other aspect of prayer, it's kind of like a two coin, uh, two-sided coin here, the other aspect of prayer really, really matters to God. And we'll touch on that a little bit later. But I want to give you an idea that might fulfill a scripture that if you're like me, you read it and you kind of wonder, how, how does that fit into my Daily living, all right? Come to 1 Corinthians 5. Typical of Paul, he would begin with doctrine and then he would move to the practice. He would move to instruction, etc. We're in chapter 5. If you drop down to verse number 16, you'll see here that he has three bullets here. Actually, there's many more, but we're going to capture just these three. Verse number 16 says in, in the New Living Translation, always be joyful, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, you read this, to me, it's a bit troubling. I mean, how many of you know, as you look at, you know, rejoicing all the time. How many of you live your life that way daily? Yeah, give me a break, right? Praying all the time. Giving thanks in all circumstances. Don't you think that God kind of gives us a mulligan now and then that we can whine and complain at least for a little bit, all right? And then you kind of get back to trying to do what he wants you to do. But Paul says this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. So we are to rejoice in everything, pray all the time, And we're to give thanks no matter what we are going through. That middle one, obviously, is the one that I want us to look at this morning because those superlatives there are are just huge to me. Never stop praying. Pray without ceasing, your Bible may read this morning. Another one, pray all the time. How do you do that? Well, I've got an idea for us this morning that I hope will help you. And I really could believe could be life transforming for some of us here in the area of prayer Uh, Let me take you back to 1969. I lived in Alney, Illinois. My parents came over uh, for the early service with some friends this morning and my dad pastored a little town, 10,000 people in, in Alney and it's kind of in the south, southern part of Illinois. It was a Wednesday and my brother had received from my dad a bike made by Mattel that was called the Vroom bike. How many you know that sounds impressive? Say that with me. Vroom. Okay? It was cool. Look like this, and look at that baby. Now, look, it's got an engine on it, huh? So it's kind of like the first little mini bike in a sense, but we didn't get to have the engine. That was an accessory part. Pastors uh, in a town that size didn't, couldn't afford that. So. But he had the bike. So Randy on a Wednesday said, Jeff, you get to take my bike to school tomorrow. I don't know why he had like a, an epiphany moment of kindness or something, but he allowed me to take the bike. I could barely get on it, and so I kind of tipped back and forth on it, you know, rocked, and it was hard for me to control, but I, I just thought about it all night long. Tomorrow, I'm going to take Randy's bike to school. Went to Silver Street Elementary School in that little town, and so I took it there. Went to school that day. All I could think about all day long was, was I get to get on that bike after school. So went, unlocked it, and hopped on it, and as I did after school, there was this girl in a purple stingray with a white little basket and a flower on the front. And I spotted her, and I I just so wish I'd had a cowboy hat and a straw in my mouth, you know, because I kind of gave her the nod like, howdy, you know, and I felt so cool. She was looking at me so much on that bike, you know. So I took off down Silver Street, and there was a long, long hill, and you get to the bottom, and there's a little bridge there that was over a, a creek that we would get crawdads and play at and run around the neighborhood and hang out around that creek. And as I came to that, flying down the hill, I really can't control the bike anyway. I get to the bottom of the hill, and there are huge potholes everywhere. I can't control it anyway, much less flying that fast, much less. And aren't you thankful God erases the memory of some moments in our lives? Because I just went right over the front. I knocked out my permanent tooth, knocked out the baby tooth. I just slid across all this gravel. I came up. I was a bloody mess. And here came the little girl on the stingray. So here's what she did. She's just, she's coming along and she went like this. Ooh. And then she just went right on down. That was it. Within no probably seconds, a guy came by in a red Cadillac convertible with white leather seats. Isn't it weird the memories we have in life? But here he comes by, and he, much like the parable of the Good Samaritan, you know, the priest and the Levite that went on their way, he just looked at me, paused, and I think he looked at his white seats. I don't know if he did, but in his heart he did. And then he said, hey, I'll be right back, you know, you dirty dog. I hated that guy for a long time, you know. So he went on down. Then up came a flower delivery van for Summers and Rainy Funeral Home, which was the sponsor for my my big brother's uh, Little League team. So I knew Summers and Rainy, and he threw my bike in the back his wife was there with him, hopped up into her lap, and she was like trying to dab me with Kleenex. I remember it was getting all over because I was bleeding quite a bit out of my mouth, and it was just just an ugly scene. We go to the house, tell him where I live. He knew who my dad was then. Once I explained, he goes to 18 Bryan Drive. We pull into the, the driveway, and I'm just thinking already at seven years of age, you really want me to go to the door, but he says, no, stay right here. So he goes to the door. My mom opens the door. He says, ma'am, your, your son has been in an accident. She looks out and sees summers and rainy, funeral home. On the, yeah. He's really thinking, you know, good grief. So then my mom almost passes out. He has to explain, no, no, he's fine, he's fine, he's fine. I go in. Long story short, my dentist says to my mom, as we had to go to his house because he was off for the day, he's doing yard work. We pull up. He says, where's the tooth? She goes, I don't know where the tooth is. Well, you need to find the tooth. Meet me at my office. I'll clean up. I'll meet you there. So I'm standing here at the bottom, that little creek, that little area, that bridge, potholes everywhere and gravel everywhere, little white and yellow, you know, uh, uh, pebbles everywhere. I mean, thousands of them. And we look for this tooth. We can't find the tooth. And my mom stops and says, Jeff, we need to pray. Now I'm seven years old, second grade. Standing there, we hold hands and my mom prayed the simplest little prayer, probably about 25 words in Jesus' name, amen. We go our different ways to look. She said, go look. We go. I hear her instantly say, there it is. And I turn around. I watch her right now. She's walking about six or eight steps, and she picks up that tooth among all of these pebbles. And immediately, I'm like, wow, God. The prayer went up, and the answer came down. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it was just, it was an amazing moment to me in my little seven-year-old heart. How many know God hears us when we pray? Now, we're going to talk about that more, but that made an impact on my life in such a degree today that it reminds me of as I was reading the book of Nehemiah, and I'm not going to have you turn there due to time, but we're going to read through these just quickly. If you don't know the book of Nehemiah well, Nehemiah is a, a, a statesman in the Old Testament for Israel, and he was up in Babylon because the Babylonians had come in in 587 BC and obliterated Jerusalem. They tore down the wall, which was vital to security and protection for cities in that, in that day of course and, and they desecrated the temple and, and, and houses and all the main buildings, they just left it a wreck as they did, they were the strongest empire on planet earth as you well know and so he is up in Babylon with the exiles, but he has a huge burden for Jerusalem. And he wants to rebuild that wall, and he's, and he's praying for his people. And here, if you look to the screen, verse number six, just opening the book says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you, God, day and night for the people of Israel, your servants." So in other words, constant prayer. He says, God, I am praying, I am praying, I am praying day and night for Jerusalem, for your people, my people, for the Israelites. We would call this years ago tarrying in prayer. It's where you carry a burden. You pray and you pray many times at maybe lengthy times of prayer versus the other side, what we're going to talk about here in a moment. But then we move to chapter 4, and now Nehemiah is leading a team, and they are building the wall. And really, it's a great leadership book, the book of Nehemiah, because this guy did an amazing job uh, just organizing and orchestrating the rebuilding of that wall that was so very important. But then there's opposition that comes, and people are poking fun at the wall, and there's some saying if a fox climbed up on it, it would just crumble, etc. And here's what Nehemiah prays. Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults into the face of the builders. Chapter 6, same thing is happening. People are criticizing. He prays, now strengthen my hands. A few verses later, there's a, a, a couple prophets and then a female prophetess who, who are coming against and saying, this really isn't from God anyway, and he prays this. Chapter 6, remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who have been trying to intimidate me. Then we come back to chapter 13, near the end of the book, and the wall is completed, and now there's things are organizing, and he's wanting to get the Levites that serve in the temple back doing their thing, and the priests and all of that. But he's having some issues with them, and he prays this, remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. Then he commands the Levites a little bit more. Then he prays, remember me for this also, O my God, And show mercy to me according to your great love. And then he rebukes some priests that are really out of line in what they've been doing. And he prays this. Remember them, oh my God. Because they defiled the priestly office and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Then the book comes to a close. And he prays this. Remember me with favor. Oh my God. So in the the narrative, as you're reading through, and I just one day this popped out of me years ago. The realization of how Nehemiah, he begins and there's this sense of tarrying in prayer. He is praying day and night. But meanwhile, while he's on the wall, there are times where, as you know the story, he's got a tool in one hand and he's got a sword in the other hand to fight off the enemies that are attacking nearby. And, And so he is a busy man. And what does he do then? He throws up these little short prayers to God while he's on that wall. And we see it all the way through the book of Nehemiah. Do you think, question this morning, do you think that God heard all of those prayers? Do you think God heard, you know, remember me with favor, oh my God. Remember what these priests are doing here, God, and they're really not doing, they've just defiled the the priestly duty and the office that they hold. God, remember them. Do you think God heard those prayers? Don't you think you have to spend more time than, you know, seven seconds praying to God? You don't have to. Matter of fact, look at Samson. Remember Samson? He was the great warrior in Israel. And he was just he was a thorn in the side of the Philistines. And through a seductress he he yielded and and, and she discovered that it was his length of his hair, much like mine this morning. The length of hair was the power of God in his life. And when that hair would be cut, and he finally divulged that to her, and what happens? But he's taken captive by the Philistines, and their God is Dagon, one of, the, one of the, the pagan gods of fertility and the God to have good agriculture and crops. And that's what they would do, and they would perform all kinds of sexual acts and things under Dagon. That was their God. But here is Jehovah's man. We just sang earlier, Yahweh is God. This is Yahweh's man, and yet his eyes are gouged out. He's been taken captive. And he's there in the hands of the Philistines, and they are bringing him out in a little coliseum they had with a few thousand people in it, people even up on the rooftop watching because they love to watch Samson be made fun of. His eyes are poked out, and he leads out, he's led out by someone, and he says to that person, would you please let me just touch the pillars on both sides as I stand here? Now, what they had forgotten was his hair had grown back. And he comes back to God, and he prays what in the English Bible is a 27-word prayer. And then after praying that, there's a little delay, and then he prays another very short one-sentence prayer, God, remember me and let me get my revenge on the Philistines in this last hour of my life. And he pushes against those pillars. It collapses, and it says more people perished that day of the Philistines than in all of the years that Samson had been the great warrior that he was. We have Elijah up on Mount Carmel. love the story of Elijah. And Elijah's there in front of 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. These were other foreign gods and false gods and deities around Israel in that day. And here is Elijah, and he knows it. He says it in the story, in the narrative, that he is alone. God, I am standing for you alone. And he built an altar, and he says, you guys take that altar, and you bring fire from heaven upon your altar through your God of Baal. And they spend hours, and they cut themselves, and they cry out, and they, they do all they can do. And I love Elijah. If you remember the story that he says to him at one point, what's the matter? Is your God asleep? I love this line. Is your God going to the bathroom? Isn't that great? I mean, you know, prophets can get sarcastic sometimes, right? So where's your God at? And, he, and he's just... You can tell he's nagging at them for hours. And then finally he says, douse my altar full with buckets of water to really prove this is a miracle. And he steps forward and in, hear me, in an English Bible, 60 words or less, he prays a simple prayer. Here comes the fire. There's reformation in Israel and they all turn their back, or turn rather back to God and then they chase those prophets of Baal and it's, it's just a major moment in Israel, Old Testament history, 60 words of prayer. Now don't under, misunderstand me this morning. I am not saying that God doesn't want us to spend lengthy times with him in prayer. God loves that. And we can read of the men like Samuel Chadwick and Prane Hyde and John Wesley and, and John Bunyan and David Livingston and George Mueller and these people throughout church history, they spent time with God in prayer. That is what God desires. Matter of fact, God loves that. Think about it today. Whoever is your, one of your closest friends, isn't it just easy to talk to a close friend? Is it just easy when you spend time those that you love? Well, listen, that's what God has with us. It's relationship today. So he loves to spend time with you. He loves for you to spend time with him. But also, in the course of your day, many times we may miss a time with God at the start of the day, and then the day just we get enveloped in the day, and it's a busy day. Next thing you know, we didn't spend any time with him. We go to bed. We have a tinge of guilt. Hear me. God understands that. He loves you with an undying love. We sang about it this morning. And God is love. But I'm telling you, there are times even if you don't have that time with him, that if you'll just, in essence, text him, he's going to answer you. Now, why is that the case? Three reasons quickly this morning. The first reason that we can text God is because God is always present, right? It says he is a present help in times of trouble. God is there with us. Matter of fact, Psalm 139 says you can't even escape the presence of God. So no matter where you're at in your day, you know God is there. You realize that he is on the throne in heaven, but Hebrews 4 says that we can come boldly into the throne of grace and find help in our time of need because of what we're going to celebrate in a moment, the holy communion that Jesus gave his body and his blood so that we have access to talk to God. Anytime you are in need, you will get help because of his grace. So he's present. He's always there. Our daughters, too, that are here, and they'll love me telling daughter stories. How many know they love that for a pastor? Yeah. When I was young, younger in ministry, and the girls were young, finally one day my wife and I decided, and we said, okay, here's the rule, no more daughter stories, because they'd come out of kids' church, and then, hey, your dad said this morning, so I had to quit that. But I'm going to tell it now, they're all grown up. They're big girls. They can handle it. Could I hear any man this morning, right? But they were probably two, four, and six, as I recount it in my mind. We lived in Gilbert. And we had a guest in for that weekend to speak at the church, Jim Hall, a missionary. And, and we always would put the light on there in the hallway. And then as we did that night, went on to bed. Well, in the middle of the night, there was this blood-curdling scream. Now, we have now five grandchildren, our oldest, Bentley. And Bentley's here this morning. And, and when she lets that scream out sometimes, Whitney complains. And we're like, "Don't!" I didn't want to hear it, young lady. Because we grew up hearing that scream. Well, she screamed out in the middle of the night. So I got out of bed immediately. I'm running to the door. And I grab the door handle, open it up, and meanwhile, right across Caddy Corner there in our guest room, there's Jim Hall. He did the same thing. We're both standing there in our underwear looking at each other. It's really an awkward moment for guys, okay? And I'm like, Jim, did, did you shut off the light? He goes, yeah, I went to the bathroom. Oh, oh, no, you do not shut off the light in the Peterson's house, okay? But see, our girls in those days when they were young, there was that sense that all they needed to do was call. I would be there. It was a matter of seconds, girls, if you need us during the night. Because I mean, you know, night can just be kind of scary. Matter of fact, Monsters, Inc. would be a good example. We heard that scream a million times with our girls growing up, if you remember. But because we were there, that's how God is with us. So how can I be talking to God throughout the day? Because he's always present. He is an ever-present God. We call it omnipresence in theology. It just simply means he's with you all the time. That's why you can text him anytime you want. The second reason is that God is always listening. He is an ever-present help in time of trouble because he's always listening. This comes hard for us because for a lot of us here, we prayed about things. God didn't seem to answer, so then we wonder, did he really hear us? Oh, trust me, he hears us. There are just times that we have to have discernment. We have to walk in faith. There are times that the answer is no, and we keep praying because we want a yes. But how many of you know God is God, and we submit ourselves to his will? And so as he did in the garden, he prayed, not my will, but your will be done. He taught us in the Lord's prayer. We are to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want his will, not our will. And so, when we know that we pray, as 1 John 5 14 says, and this is the confidence that we have toward God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So, you can text God any time in the day, and he's listening. Isn't that awesome? And how many know God can handle whatever it would be? Billions of text messages a single moment because he's God. He can handle it all. He can hear it all. Third reason is because not only is he present and listening, but because he's perfect. God is perfect. By his nature, he's present, omnipresent. By his grace, he's listening. His heart, that throne of grace for you, anytime you have a need. But by his character, by who God is, is that he is a perfect God. God. I love my girls so much. I almost love all three of my son-in-laws. I'm just kidding. I love them so much. Now we've got five. You just, love, you just man, grand, grandparenting, it's unbelievable. It is the reward for parenting. There's no doubt about it. So you love them. Imagine how much God loves us. I often reflect on that. Psalm 103, even as a father has love for his children, how much more does God love those who fear him? So you can look at the most basic, incredible human love you've ever felt in your life and you say, I know that person loves me. I know that person will be there for you. And it doesn't even compare. Paul put it this way. He prayed for the Ephesians. I pray that you will somehow be able to grasp how high and how deep and how wide and how long is the love of God for you in Christ Jesus. So the reason you can pray every day, at any moment in your day, is because he's there, he is listening, and he loves you. His nature, his character of perfection, it's a perfect love today. How do we flesh this out then? And we're going to have communion here in just a moment. How do we flesh this out? Well, let me just say that on that idea of love, I, I watched a video just not long ago, and it was... Uh, A Muslim who had come into faith in Christ. And there's nothing more incredible than that. And this Muslim was explaining what it was like to serve his God before he came to know Jesus. And the God of Allah for him was a God he was petrified of. He was fearful of. He, he, just, he knew in the end that it was, it was like a balancing act of the scales. And if it would go up and tip his direction, then he's got the thumbs up for all of eternity with Allah. If it goes down, then he's banished into separation from Allah for all of his life. Now he knows Jesus, and he knows that he is wrapped in the arms of a God who John described, 1 John, God is love. Isn't that incredible? So that's why he wants to hear from you anytime you want to pray. So how do we flesh this out quickly? Three things. First of all, how to text God in prayer. Do it in the flow of your day. Just in the flow of your day. I've tried to make a habit of this, and I I do it quite often with people. I'll be on the phone with somebody. It doesn't have to be a pastor. It can be anybody. And I'll just say, hey, real quick, before we hang up, can I just have a word of prayer with you? No one ever says, no, don't pray for me. That's sober. Right. I've had it happen one time in my life. One time. So you just pray in the flow of the day. Carla's dad became a follower of Jesus at the age of 50. And at the age of 57, he passed away and went to be with the Lord. He, he had a seven-year walk with God that was amazing. He memorized 1,000 verses of Scripture in seven years in his 50s. Amazing man. Started a ministry called Master's Commission. It literally went viral then, and especially after his passing, et cetera. But Carmen, one of the early times I went to lunch with him, he did something. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the kid raised in church. I'm the youth pastor in those days at Phoenix First. He's on staff starting Master's Commission. We go to lunch, pull up, and I'm ready with my hand on the handle. And he says, wait, wait just a second. He says, let's just have a quick word of prayer. What, what do you need to pray about? And I'm so stunned. I'm like, oh, I, I don't know. And I had to think of something. You know, I mean, I'm spiritual, right, you know? And then we would pray. Well, every time you went to lunch with Carmen, that's what he would do. We'd pull back into the church parking lot. He'd put it in park. He'd say, hey, just before we get out, what do you want to pray about? I would learn to have something ready to pray about. But see, that's just an awesome thing. In the flow of your day, you can do that with God anytime you want to. Think about it. So it might be that you're having a hard day at work, and you get to that break time, or whether you have a break or not, even just go into the restroom just to get away from everybody and just, just text God, just a few minutes with him. It might be 140 characters or less, and you, and you let him know where you're at. You know what? He's there for you because he loves you. The other thing is to do in the schedule of your week. And I, and I, I fell into this just a few years ago, and I, it's become such an important part of, of, of the week for me. But there was a friend of mine going to pastor in Colorado. He was leaving our church when we were pastoring there in Missouri. And, and as we left, I, as he was leaving, I, I uh, got together and lunch with him. I said, you know, Bob, he seemed really concerned and burdened, and he was taking on a big task. And I said, why don't we just pray together every week? Why don't we just set a time? So we set a time, and we started to pray together. I so enjoyed it that I met a pastor in Haiti on a missions trip with a bunch of pastors, and he kind of knew who I was, and we connected up. By the time we left that couple of days together, I said, why don't we just pray every week? Because I'd love to do that. And he's planting a church in Palm Springs area. Then there's a friend of mine that I, again, barely knew in that day a few years ago. He's planting in Boston, which is a very hard place to plant a church, Boston, Massachusetts. And he's in the arts district there around Berkeley School of Music and all of them. Perfect pastor to be there. Hard, hard place to plant a church. So my Wednesdays for the last three years until coming here, every Wednesday, 1015 Bob, 1030 Randy, 1045 Craig for 45 minutes, short talk, how, how are the Cubs doing? What's going on in life? And then let's pray. What do you need to pray about? And so a little bit of, of just basic talk, we get to prayer. Those three guys today are so close to me in heart. I know their needs. I know their children. I know what they're facing in their churches. I know what's going on in their lives, and they know the same with me. They're things about me that probably only my wife knows, but they know because we've prayed together for now almost four years. Wouldn't it be needed, Generation Church? If every single one of you had someone that every week you just took fifteen minutes out, man to man, woman to woman, and you just connect up any time in the day, night, wherever it is, but you do it every single week. I promise you this: if you do that, you will find strength in the Lord. David, with Jonathan's help, Saul's son, found strength in the Lord through Jonathan and that's what this relationship can be. Just schedule it right into your week, and you can just take a few minutes and pray. The third thing, obviously, is the urgency of the moment. The urgency of the moment, obviously. That's Nehemiah, that's Samson, that's Jonah, that's Abraham. That is so many people in Scripture that as you begin to look now, you will realize there are people that just quickly prayed to God, and God answered them. He was there for them. He was listening because he loves all of us here today. When we pray. Now, I didn't want to discourage anyone here from having a good quiet time. And you need to develop that spiritual discipline in your life. But I really wanted to encourage you to know you can pray to God anytime you want. Matter of fact, think of it this way, and we'll close. How many people will you text in a given day? How many people will you reach out to in a text? Whatever it may be. Think about it. How many texts will you send out? If it's 100 text messages in a single day, and let's say some of them are maybe to multiple people, so probably it's over 100 people that you were texting in a single day, or 50 people, whatever it is, then how many times do you stop to talk to God in your day? Isn't that strange? We talk to friends, family. How about talking to God? He's waiting. He's just waiting. All you got to do is text him, and he'll hear you. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads with me this morning, if you will. Here's the interesting thing, and I'll close with this. Jesus hung on the cross between two thieves. The one thief made fun, insulted, mocked, and that man tragically went to eternity. And he was due that cross that he bore. Not Jesus. Jesus was the sinless, perfect Sacrifice. What we are about to have together in communion, representing the body and the blood of Jesus, came from the perfect sacrifice. That man, he deserved death, according to the Roman Empire. But then we have the man on the other side, and he looked to Jesus. He looked to him and put faith in Jesus. It is one single sentence, and Jesus answered him with these words, Today you will be with me in paradise. Isn't that incredible? That is the grace of God. This man, too, he was worthy of the cross. He was a lawbreaker. He deserved to die. But he turned to Jesus in that moment and spoke one sentence to him, and Jesus said, You will be with me in eternity. That is how quickly God forgives our sins. Isn't that incredible? Paul and Silas were in prison, the book of Acts, and there's a head jailer there. And an angel came and released them, and so all the prisoners were just flowing out of there. And that jailer knew he, his head was on the block because, because of everyone escaping. And he's ready to take a sword and thrust it through himself because he knows he's going to die anyway. And so here's a man suicidal, and, and the apostles say, no, 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 don't do that. Put your faith in Jesus, and you will be saved, and your whole household will be saved. And that man in that instant, it was that quick, that he prayed with them, he opened his heart, he believed in Jesus, and he was saved. Now, I'm not saying that it's just a quick, there's nothing to, oh, no, no. We are about to break bread together, representing the body of Jesus, and drink the cup together, representing the blood of Jesus. It cost Jesus everything he was and is, so that we could just simply say, I believe, I believe, I know I've sinned, God, forgive me. And if you're here today, I'm not trying to simplify and make it just like it's some easy thing to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, but I can tell you today, Jesus did the work. What we do is believe. We are saved by faith. If there's one person here this morning, there may be five, there may be 10, but you say, I want God in my life. You want to know his love. You want a relationship with him. I'm telling you, all you need to do right now is turn and pray with me and pray with this congregation, this church today. And Jesus will touch you. God will come into your life. I promise you that if you really mean it and you're coming in faith today. And so to prepare ourselves for communion, I'm going to invite you right now to pray with me all around this room. And I know Pastor Ryan does this on a regular basis. I want anyone that's here to have the opportunity. Say, is it really that simple Well, yes, but because of what Jesus has done, the cross was not simple and the cross was not easy. But what you have to do is confess your sins and simply believe in him. So would you do that with me? I'm gonna invite us to pray a prayer together. Just pray these words right now. Just say, oh God, go ahead, let's say it out loud together. Oh God, I admit my sin. I need saved. I've not lived for you. I don't have all the answers, but I'm trusting your word, the Bible, for the way to know you. I believe, Jesus, you died for me, that you went to the cross, carried my sins, my punishment, my wrath, what was deserving for me, you took in my behalf thank you for the cross please forgive me of my sins cleanse my life and I turn now away from my sins that I may follow you for the rest of my life in Jesus name everybody said amen amen if you prayed that prayer from your heart You don't have to have all the answers, all the theology, all of that, but you believe that Jesus died for you and you ask God to forgive you of your sins. That is the only way that you can have eternal life right there. And you did it God's way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we've done that. Would you take the element?